Thank you, Kevin. Good morning, everyone. My name is Don, and as one of the pastors here, it's my privilege to continue our series today. And what a fitting way to go into the next chapter in Storyline, which is the Spirit and the Church, and having uh, new members share their story of how Jesus has transformed their lives and how they want to be a part of this movement that started over 2,000 years ago called the Church of Jesus Christ. And as it just continues to grow around the world and as we see it here. So we, we celebrate with you and we celebrate as a church together. So last week, Kevin brought us in our whole storyline right into the New Testament. So if you remember way back when we started the series, way back in creation, and all of the different chapters of that story of where God is trying to get the attention of his, of his people, the attention of his creation to show his love to them, to save them, to lead them, to be their God. Well, God finally got to the point in working with us frustrating humans, I believe, to where he said, I just got to take matters into my own hands, and it's time for me to go down to that earth I created and become one of them. And that was what Kevin taught last week, was that grace story, that incredible miracle that we call at Christmas time incarnation, which means that God became flesh or God became human and dwelt among us. I love how Kevin commented that it was like the author entering his own story or the creator now entering his own creation. And that's what Jesus did. He was born, he lived, then he laid down his life to give us life, and then he rose again from the dead miraculously to defeat death, to promise eternal life. And then he went back to be with the Father. And that was last week's chapter. And yet near the, near, in Jesus' life, though, he began to hint to his disciples that he was going to leave, but then later the Spirit was going to come. The Holy Spirit of God was going to come in a unique way. Now, just a bit of an aside here, I've been a self-confessed history geek. You've all heard me say that many times, so, but I'll add to that geekdom by uh, saying I'm also someone who loves science fiction, and I'm especially intrigued by time travel. So I don't know if any of you are weird like that. In fact, as I was reminiscing about, about my int being intrigued with time travel, uh, my wife Una and I, but when we were having one of our first dates, so way back in the day, we went to the drive-in to the movie Back to the Future. So if you want to do the math there, you can probably figure out how old we are, how long we've been married, but uh, that whole idea. Now, along with being a history geek and someone who's into time travel, um, I've often fantasized or thought about, wow, wouldn't it be awesome to go back to some of my favorite periods of history and just get to be there? And obviously, as a follower of Jesus, the most amazing thing would be to actually meet Jesus and, and talk with him and ask all my incredibly ridiculous questions. But I, I, I don't know, have you ever had that fantasy? I would, I would love to do that. But you know, Jesus said a very interesting and strange thing that his disciples didn't quite get at the time and that I still wonder about, to be honest. But he said this, it's in John chapter 16, and he's trying to comfort his disciples because they're not getting it when he's talking about having to die and that he's not going to be with them. They're, they're very troubled about this because they don't understand. But he says this in John chapter 16, verse 7. He says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. 
Now, the advocate was the word that Jesus was using to describe the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus incredibly says to them, it's best for you? It's better for you? Like, I don't know about you, but to me, the most amazing thing would get to, like, meet Jesus and just, like, hear it from the source, hang out with him. Like, that sounds way better than some mystical spirit that's supposed to be in me and speak to me and lead me. And and honestly, that does seem a bit strange, but... These are Jesus' words. And Jesus said to them, it's actually better for you, best for you that I go away because I'm going to send the Spirit. So what did he mean by that? Well, let's go back a little bit in John to, to hear him set up this whole idea of sending the Holy Spirit. So if you want to follow along with me, the, the scripture will be on the screen, but I'm going to be reading from John chapter 14, um, starting at verse 15. John chapter 14, verses 15 to 17. So Jesus says this. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, Jesus uses the word that in in the Greek would be paraclete, and Here, it's translated advocate, but paraclete can also mean comforter, encourager, and counselor. And so Jesus first describes the Holy Spirit as this incredible, the incredible part of God who is this comforter, this this presence of God with us. And it's just a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit as our comforter, encourager, our counselor, our advocate. But in these verses, Jesus also helps us understand that something's going to change in how the Holy Spirit's going to work within us. You see, through the Old Testament, the experience of the disciples was there was an understanding of the Spirit of God, but for some reason, the Spirit of God kind of seemed to come and go. And yet Jesus is saying to them, you know, you know the Spirit because he's been with you, but soon the Spirit is going to be in you. I'm sure they didn't get it then. We struggle getting that still. But that was the game changer. That the, mini- the ministry or the mystery of the Holy Spirit as the church was born was that something big would change. Yes, Jesus would be gone. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. But he would send the Spirit. And that Spirit would now indwell us. If we believe in Jesus, the actual Spirit of God lives within us. And that's a game changer and an incredible miracle. And I don't know how we can get our hearts and minds around that today, but I'm praying and trusting that the Spirit of God will help us with that today. Now, after Jesus rose from the dead, he did appear to his disciples for a short time. And these disciples and followers of Jesus were all huddled in Jerusalem because they thought their movement was over. They were very, very down and very, very distraught. But when Jesus appeared to them, resurrected, their hope was huge because they thought, the time has come. King Jesus is going to sit on the throne, kick out the Romans, and we're finally going to get our dream. And yet they still didn't get the kind of kingdom that Jesus was saying. And so while they're all gathered, one of the last words that Jesus says to his disciples is this. Acts 1 verse 8 says this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. You see, they wanted a king 
to rule and to make everything good for them, and they kept missing the greater mission. And if you remember, that's been this whole big story, this whole storyline from creation on. God is trying to get the attention of his creation because he loves them and he's reaching out to them and they rebel, and then he calls people on mission to bring his love and bring his presence, and then the people don't want to do that because they want it for themselves, and then we get into this big mess until God finally comes himself, and then even then we misunderstood why he came and what he was coming to do. And now he sends his spirit to birth the church and to get us back on mission. And that's so key in the spirit. So, Jesus reveals the spirit, yes, in this beautiful way of being the spirit of truth who will indwell us, who will comfort us, who will will be our advocate. And those are very beautiful ministries of the Holy Spirit. But ultimately, the coming of the Holy Spirit is to empower the mission is to empower the followers of Jesus to live out the mission that God had planned right from the beginning to reach all of his creation. So let's go to the famous text now in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit comes to empower the people and to begin God's greatest mission to reach his world called the church. So if you want to turn there, Acts chapter 2, again, it'll be on the screen but you can follow along in your Bible as well. This is in the New International Version. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, "Aren't aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? And then the scripture lists 12 different nationalities and languages that I won't make you have to listen to all, but then pick it up in verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. So, the Holy Spirit at this moment doesn't seem to come so much as the comforter. The Holy Spirit has arrived in power as the empowerer of those that would follow Jesus. Now, just get a little bit of a context of this story. So you've got to imagine all of the followers of Jesus are huddled in Jerusalem. But also in Jerusalem is a major festival, a yearly festival called Passover, where visitors from around the Roman Empire would have been showing up for this huge festival that happened in Jerusalem. So there's all kinds of people around, all kinds of chaos around, all kinds of people from all over, and it's a, that's, that's the scene of what happens here. So then in the midst of that, all of this big formal religious festival Somehow you get this strange phenomenon. This huge wind comes, tongues of fire. People are going, what's going on? And then besides that, all of a sudden these uneducated people from the Hicks. So when you heard me say Galileans, that was meant to be kind of a slur. Like it was like, how do these these uneducated Hicks are coming into here and we're hearing them speak our languages, our sophisticated languages from around the empire. We're hearing them speak it. 
That was the incredibleness of this, of this event. Now, I don't know how you imagine that event. Perhaps, perhaps you imagine it in a way of, you know, that was like this one-time miraculous event. And, yeah, it sounds really weird and crazy like a lot of other things like that in the Bible. But it was a one-time miraculous event. I don't think God pours out his Holy Spirit in any way that creates any kind of chaos or weirdness or, or anything like that. Well, maybe. How do we respond to what is called the charismatic gifts or the sign gifts? So these disciples were speaking in tongues or speaking in other languages. That is known as one of the charismatic or sign gifts. There, there are many others. Now maybe for some of you, you've never experienced those kinds of gifts. Maybe for some of you, you have. Maybe you've been in certain meetings or certain churches or certain times where you've seen some of these charismatic gifts and they've actually freaked you out a bit or made you really feel uncomfortable. Or perhaps you've even seen them be abused or, or used in, a, in an unwise or unbiblical way and you've just kind of just aren't sure what to do with them. And I think there's also a lot of you that are going, wow, I'm hungry for more. Holy Spirit, pour out in power and show up and let's see more of these sign gifts be manifested in our church. So I think we kind of can be all over on this. But how do we respond? A quote from uh, the, the NIV commentary kind of, um, I guess, puts it in a way that, that might help us understand a bit. He, he says this. Beware of both charismania, an overemphasis on charismatic gifts, and charisphobia, a fear of charismatic gifts. And always ask ourselves this question. Do I have all that God wishes for me to enjoy? We must leave it to God to give us what gifts he desires for us. Now, no matter where you're at on this issue, can I encourage all of us as followers of Jesus to be open? There's maybe lots we don't understand, and perhaps there's times we've seen abuses or excesses in the whole idea of these gifts of the Spirit. But are we truly open to the fact that God may have more for us? That God may want to pour out in our lives and in our church in a way that might even make us feel a little uncomfortable or maybe a lot uncomfortable, but it still may be God and it still may be good. Can we be open and hungry while we continue to be discerning? I hope and pray, I hope and pray we can. You know, it's interesting, later in the New Testament, Paul is writing a letter to a church that's really struggling with what to do with spiritual gifts. They're having some of the same controversies we hear about today. It's 1 Corinthians. And it's interesting, though, that, that Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, he just comes right out and says, you know what? Eagerly desire these spiritual gifts. He actually encourages them to. And then he goes on a little later in verse 5 and says, you know, I wish you could all speak in tongues, but I also would rather you prophesy. And then he, and then he goes on. So I don't think he's saying there that everyone needs to have the spiritual gift of tongues. It's one gift. But I think he is saying it's a legit, valid gift that the Spirit pours out over his people. And I know that there are many of you in this room that speak in tongues. And I know that some of you feel like in a conservative church like this, maybe you're not sure that that's allowed or you can do that. And yeah, we've, we've got some issues with that. But that is one gift. And it's one of those gifts of the Spirit. And, it, and it's a part of the church. Now, I could go on and on about this. This is a really long topic, but just in, in this part of how we respond to these sign gifts or some of these demonstrative gifts of the Spirit, 
You know, it's important to uh, go back to the why. I think where we get off track at times with these gifts is that if we think that these gifts of the Spirit are basically for our own experience and our own comfort and even our own spiritualness to have other people be impressed with us, I think if we get caught up there, that's where we get off track. But I think if we understand these gifts as gifts from the Spirit, do you remember what the number one reason was? To get us back on mission, to empower us for the mission. These gifts aren't so that we can all go, aren't we great Christians? Look how spiritual we are. Look how close I feel to God. Those can be wonderful things. But it's about the mission. God wants to empower his people. I would suggest to you that the number one manifestation of the Spirit is not tongues or prophecy or anything else. The number one manifestation of the Spirit is boldness. Because all of us, as followers of Jesus, need Spirit-filled boldness to complete the mission. Otherwise, we will fail just as much as the generations before. And so, Holy Spirit, come and renew your purpose in the church. Again, not for our glory, but for his glory. So, the Spirit is revealed by Jesus as the comforter, the advocate, that beautiful presence, and then revealed as the power, the empowering of us followers of Jesus. And it's out of that that the church is born. So, let's continue reading in Acts chapter 2, as now the Apostle Peter explains to this perplexed crowd what's going on. So it's picking up the story at verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Wow. When we consider what Peter spoke to the crowd, announcing the birth of this new movement that was going to be called the church, and that it was going to be empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit, this new mission gets new traction Because you see, all of what the prophet Joel was saying there was about breaking down barriers. You see, before, we just keep putting up barriers. Barriers to push people away, to keep people away from God, to to make more barriers. And Jesus came and the Holy Spirit came to smash those barriers to say that all come. That plan from the beginning is starting to be fulfilled. Look at, some, look at some of the barriers that are broken that are just so obvious there, right? There's no more gender. In a patriarchal culture that was declared, there is no more gender. Sons and daughters receive the Spirit. Men and women are anointed and ha- are gifted by the Spirit. There's no more age. Young and old receive the Spirit freely and powerfully. He's suggesting more, but let me make it even clearer by another letter from Paul later where he's describing this phenomenon. It's in Galatians 3, 
26 to 28, and it says this. So in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That was the radical miracle of the early church. So beyond no more gender and no more age, there's no more class. Slave and free can hang out together, and there's no more race or ethnicity. Again, why? So that everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. All the barriers that our sinful humanity kept putting up over and over again to push people away, to block people off, those barriers are supposed to go down. You know, what is so fascinating about the early church is that the upper classes looked at disdain at the early church because the upper classes just saw that the early church was full of marginalized poor people, lots of slaves, lots of women, and even like the higher class people who hung out with them treated them like equals, and that was the kind of community. The early church was the most inclusive community in that culture. Makes me wonder about the church today. And I'm certainly not talking about compromising the gospel or the truth of scripture. But is the church anywhere near being the kind of inclusive community that isn't putting up barriers, but is a part of breaking down barriers so that all can come? That's been the plan of God from the beginning, that all of his creation could come. And have we got a messy, messy, hurting world where there's so many things we don't understand and maybe don't even know how to deal with? But does that have to get us afraid and put up barriers? Or do we trust in the power of the Spirit that he's moving and that he's the one that transforms people's lives? Not our, not our rules or whatever we do, but the Spirit transforms people's lives. So, how do we respond to this today? I guess the the first question I would ask that I've been asking myself all week is, what barriers am I putting up? Who are the people that I stereotype or make characters of? What, What barriers do I not even realize that I'm setting up that I need to say, Holy Spirit, work in my life and break down those barriers? that I can truly be a spirit-filled follower of you. I need your empowering, Lord Jesus. I want to ask us today, as I've been asking myself, where is my identity? In all of the good things that my identity could be wrapped up in, and valid things, if I'm a follower of Jesus, is is the core of my identity, is my primary identity actually in Christ? And then I guess as we come to respond today, and I'll get the worship team to come up now. I guess we can't talk about the Holy Spirit without putting out the invitation that the God who loves you, the Jesus who died for you, the Jesus who rose again from the dead, who then sent the Spirit to indwell you, wants to empower you, wants to manifest his Spirit, his presence in you. So if you're someone today who 
has just so wondered about this God thing and how this all works, can I just declare to you today that the ultimate revelation of God is that he wants to live within you. He wants to give you life and meaning and power. That's his heart for you. That, that's the core of being a follower of Jesus. Is yes, believing in him and what he's done for you, but then having God's very presence living in you. That's the miracle of the church. I would invite you to open up your heart and say, Jesus, I believe. I ask your presence, your spirit to fill me and start to empower and lead my life because I need you. I encourage you that today. And I also wonder today, are you hungry for more? Have we gotten complacent with, I'm good. You know, I read the Bible and got the different church things I do and I know what I believe and, and, and you know, you feel this urgency for more. You feel like, I would love to be more of a witness and, you know, and yet it's so hard. Do you think maybe it's less about the fact that we're just complacent and disobedient and you think maybe it's more about we need the empowering of the Holy Spirit? that we were never meant to work it up on our own, but that actually the Spirit wants to pour out and anoint us and empower us so that actually serving and witnessing of Jesus in our life just becomes the overflow of joy in our life. We love to do it because it's the Spirit empowering us. It's not us trying to muster up the courage to do it. I don't have any magical formula to make that happen in your life, but I do believe that the Holy Spirit promises that from the Word of God and from the testimony of the church over 2,000 years. And so I don't have any special power to pray that over you. I'm just completely trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit. But I'm just going to ask you to, to receive today. So if I could just invite you to uh, close your eyes, just so that this is between you and God and not for show for anyone else. But if the Spirit is knocking on your door today and saying, hey, I want to be prayed over for just a filling and a boldness of the Holy Spirit. So if that's your heart today, I'm just going to ask you to stand where you are. Well, let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we worship you. Holy Spirit, we started out this service today inviting you to come in power and, and flow through this room. And so, Holy Spirit, in faith, we believe that you have heard and answered that prayer. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would pour out across this room now through every heart that's seeking you right now. Holy Spirit, come. And Lord, I pray especially for those standing today that are wanting a special anointing, this boldness that only you can give. And so, Lord, I'm powerless, but you aren't. And so, Holy Spirit, pour out. And each one of these open hearts right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, come. I pray an anointing of boldness and power in each one of these people's lives. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't you be seated? Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in our church. And Lord, we pray that you would raise up gifts in this church according to your pleasure. 
Lord, that the gifts that are needed for your kingdom to come and your will to be done at Forest Grove and this part of Saskatoon that you've called us to reach, Lord, we pray, would you empower and would you gift your church? So, Lord, we pray these things in faith, believing in you. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray this together in Jesus' name. And let's just continue to respond as Tyler and the band leads us. Holy Spirit, come as we sing, as we respond. Keep allowing the Spirit to work in your heart through these beautiful songs we'll sing together.